say a prayer with me as we look at the scriptures this morning? Jesus, thank you for always being with us whenever we're gathered together. It doesn't matter where we are, whether we're in a school auditorium or someone's home or a workplace or a neighborhood, uh, you always promise to be with us whenever two or three of us are gathered together. So we acknowledge that you're here and that you love us and that you want to teach us something this morning. So we pray that you'd give us ears to hear what you have to say, eyes to see the things that you see in our lives, God. Open the scripture to us as we look at the story of your birth again today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Merry Christmas, everybody. Hopefully you're having a good December. Um, I know some of you are like, soon December will be over, and then I can take a nap, and that'll be good too. Uh, But we're so thankful to have you here at Mill City, and we're looking forward to having you here tomorrow at 3 o'clock for our worship service on Christmas Eve. Um, I want to start today by just uh, thinking a little bit about this metaphor that we've been looking at the last few weeks. We've been talking about Jesus as the light of the world as a way to think about Christmas in a fresh way. Uh, And today we're going to look specifically at how Jesus says that we are the light of the world and why that's so important for us to understand in this season when we're celebrating who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Now, the other day we were driving to school with my three children. I was driving my three children to school. And about halfway there they said, can you, Dad, can you tell us why you named us what you named us? I don't, I don't remember how we got to that part of the topic. Uh, kids aren't always that logical all the time. I don't know if you've experienced that. But they just decided, like, hey, tell me about this. And it isn't as if that Carissa or I have never told them, like, here's why we picked your name, or here's what your name means. Uh, I like to tell my youngest, William, His name means protector or protector of the people. And I translate all their names into God's actions. So I say, well, God is our protection and God may use you to provide protection to other people at some point in your life. And he even has a whole book that his grandmother, who's here today, gave him. That's a bedtime story that says, here's what your name means. You know, so it's not like he he doesn't have the information. He has the information, but they, they want you to tell them again. Why did you name us this? What does it mean? In part, I think because it makes them feel special, right? It reminds them that they're really valued, that their parents took time to figure out what would sound good with their last name and what sort of meaning they wanted to, they wanted to give. And that was very important to us in the naming of our children. It, made me, it re- helped me to remember that uh, we all need our identities to be affirmed over and over and over again Not because we've never heard that before, but because the regular course of life in any given week or any given day can get you really confused about your identity. And if you think even about the whole of a lifespan, all the way from when these kids are young, like mine in elementary school, to when you're a young adult, and all the identity questions that you go through as a young adult, any any young adults in the audience today, you're figuring yourself out, right? You're figuring out who am I? What kind of work do I want to do in my life? What do I want to be true about my relationships? What's going on with me? Have you lived with young adults? No, there's a huge processing around that. But those of you who lived past young adulthood, it's not like identity questions end there, right? Like, I've entered the midlife crisis stage in the 40s, which gave me an excuse to buy a faster car than the one I had before. But there's all kinds of other questions at that stage of midlife where you start looking at what you've done so far and what you want to be true for the second half of your life. And it it involves your understanding of who you are and and 
who, how God created you and what you want to do with that. And some of you who I know who I've sat with who are in more of the retirement stage of life are thinking about identity questions related to legacy and mentoring others and passing on things that you know and have grown uh, to value in your life. So identity questions aren't just for kids who want to know their names. They're for all of us all the way through. And part of one thing that this story, this Christmas story does for us is it reminds us of who God is, but then it also helps us remember who we are in the process, and we need to go over that again and again and again, or else we forget. Here's one thing I think is true about understanding your identity, that knowing who you are gives you confidence to do things you wouldn't otherwise do. Knowing who you are gives you confidence to do things that you wouldn't otherwise do. If you embrace your identity, if someone says, hey, this is how you're made, if you've ever taken one of those assessments that tells you, hey, here's what you're good at, or here's what your personality is like, or here's, here's you know, the way that your relationships work, or how you handle conflict, or the myriad number of assessments you can take on the internet now, right? Like sometimes you feel just a little bit better understood. You understand yourself better, and other people understand you, and you think, oh, maybe I can step into that in a different way now that I know that that's true about me. That's happening all the time. And so Jesus, in this story we're going to read today, in Matthew chapter 5, he's making identity statements about who we are, and that's how I want you to hear the text. He's teaching in uh, this section we call the Sermon on the Mount, which is a, the longest section of holistic teaching from Jesus, but it's all collected in one place that we have. And right at the beginning of the sermon, just after what we call the Beatitudes, he starts making these identity statements. So when I read this text this morning, I know some of you have heard this, this text before, but I want you to hear it like someone's saying to you, you're riding in a car with someone who loves you, and they're trying to remind you of who you are, of what your name means, okay? Here's how it sounds in Matthew chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everything and everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus is making identity statements in the beginning of this long teaching that goes on from here and covers all kinds of different topics. But I want to focus specifically this morning on what Jesus means when he says, you are the light of the world. If you're hearing that fresh this morning, what does it mean for you on a daily basis this week that Jesus is trying to say to you personally and to us collectively, you all are light in darkness. You are light in a world that needs light in order to function and be able to uh, know where they're going and what they're doing. 
This is not a new analogy. Let me give you a little bit of background. This is not a new analogy for the people who are listening to Jesus. This isn't the first time that they've ever been called light. And it's really important to understand the context of why Jesus is saying, you are the light of the world or the city on the hill or a light on a lampstand. Uh, The people listening to Jesus would have likely heard this light reference at some point in their upbringing in listening to the Hebrew scriptures being read. So let me give you a couple of quick examples of this. I think it'll help us make sense of the text. Back in Isaiah chapter 42, this is one of the passages that Jesus may have had in his mind. I don't know what was in his mind, but he may have been drawing on a passage like this when when deciding to call these folks a city on a hill or a light of the world. Uh, It says in Isaiah 42, I, the Lord, have called you, Isaiah and Israel, in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. And again, Gentiles just means any person who's not Jewish or not an Israelite at this time. So that you can open eyes that are blind and free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. So some point in their upbringing, they likely had heard the scroll from Isaiah read in the synagogue, and they would have been told, you are a light to the Gentiles. There's an important both and in this text, right? He's saying you are both in covenant relationship with the God of Israel, Yahweh, who takes your hand and cares for you and tells you who you are and and is in deep relationship with you, and... You're supposed to be a light to the rest of the world. You're supposed to be a light so that other people whose eyes are blind can see, so that people who are captive can be set free, so that people who are living in darkness in a dungeon can come up into the light. God intends to work through the people of Israel to be a light for the whole rest of the world. We've talked about this several times at different points in Mill City's life where we say, God intends us to be a conduit of blessing into the world, not a stinky pond where all the gifts end up and try to stay in one place. God wants to use them to not only be in relationship with God, but also to provide these things for the rest of the world. So they would have heard that. Here's another example in Isaiah chapter 49, just a few chapters later. Verse 6 again. Isaiah says, It's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. It's too small a thing. I will make, also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. It's too small a thing. I really, this really struck me this week. Okay, It's too small of a job to only use the prophet to bring Israel back and restore it as a nation, to give it back its land, because at this point in its history, it's oppressed and in exile, and, and it's in danger of losing its identity. But it's too small of a task to just say, let's help get Israel back together so Israel can be great again. That's too small of a job, according to God. Not only do we have to bring Israel back together again, but they have to become a light to the Gentiles so that God's salvation can reach to the very ends of the earth. Isaiah says, 
It's part of Israel's identity to be a light to the world and to influence the entire world, not just to receive God's blessings for themselves. So references like these would have been echoing in the minds of the people who Jesus is teaching that day. They're being reminded by Jesus that they didn't exist only for their own good or the good of their community or the good of their, their immediate families, but they, their very identity is tied up with their role as a light to those who don't know God and aren't part of Israel. Their identity is defined, in fact, by their relationship to the rest of the world. They can't be the Israelites. They can't be God's people without understanding their identity as a light to the world, a city on a hill, a light on a lampstand. Now, I can't emphasize enough what a big deal this teaching is at this point. Imagine Jesus has just started this teaching. People have just sat down. And he says, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who seek for for righteousness. Blessed are the pure in heart. And he does the whole piece on who's blessed. And the very next thing he says is, you are salt. You are light. You can't define the people of God without defining their relationship to the world. Part of who we are is how God intends to bless us and bless others through us in the world. And so it's not an option. This is really important for all the things that we're facing in the 21st century right now, okay? It's not an option to retreat into our own communities of like-minded people and spend our whole lives caring for each other and ignoring what's going on around us. We can't live like that and be the light of the world. No matter how terrified we are, no matter how much comfort we receive from gathering only with people who think like us, that's not who Jesus says we are. And this is a big problem for the Israelites. I think the reason why Jesus starts here is because of all the struggles that Israel has through all of our history that we have recorded in the Old Testament, this is one of the biggest challenges they have over and over and over again. They continually want to focus on themselves, gather resources for themselves, solidify their power, solidify their identity, and ignore everyone else, or at worst, treat people outside of Israel as if they were enemies. And they were enemies at points, but God was continually trying to tell them, I am with you for the sake of them. And what they heard was, I am with you. This is also a huge problem for the church. And even though we don't say it like this, we often resort to an us versus them mentality. In order to protect ourselves, we retreat into our church communities rather than living into our identity as light in the world. And the light dims, our light dims, when we forget who we are. If God lived the way that sometimes we do when we retreat into our own communities, Jesus would have never come, right? Jesus coming into the world was God's light breaking through into some dark space and calling us into relationship in a way that we wouldn't have understood otherwise. And so Jesus is teaching us that part of who we are is a light in a world that doesn't always recognize God. 
And we can't be God's people. We can't be followers of Jesus Christ without living into our identity as people who radiate God's light in a way that helps other people find God. Do your good works in sight of other people that they might come to glorify your Father in heaven, your, your God. So how do we do that? I have a few practical things that I want to share with you in the time that I have left. Let me, let me give you a few. The first one is that we live as light in the world by living as people with character. How we do things, this is a conversation that I'm coming up with some of you who I've met with or talked to that's over and over. The how in, in what we're doing in our lives is just as important or more important than the result of what we're doing. In the midst of a crazy world where you really can't control outcomes of much, right? None of us are in control of much at the moment. In the midst of that uncertainty, how we live and the character that we form, the kind of person that you're becoming is one of the most important ways to be light in the world. The ends do not justify the means for followers of Jesus. How we talk to people at work, how we talk about people at work, whether we're talking to them or we're talking about them behind their backs, just to be real practical. How we handle conflict, how we use our resources, how we prioritize our time, how we handle challenges in our lives, how we support other people, Living as people with character is going to stand out in the midst of darkness that surrounds us oftentimes. In a world where we're taught to sort of get everything we can for ourselves, people who are living selflessly the way that Jesus lives his life are going to stand out as light in the midst of darkness. You have an opportunity every single week in your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood, whoever, to stand out as a person of character and integrity. You don't have to, you don't have to uh, give a sermon at a coffee break. But there are opportunities. I know when you watch for them, you see there is a different way to respond to this particular conversation, to this particular decision, to this particular ethical question in my work that would distinguish me as a follower of Jesus, depending on how I respond. Jesus lists all kinds of ethical things that we can do in the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you want, you can read through chapters 5 through 7 and see all kinds of other examples of what it means to live with character. Let's show people with our lives that because of what Jesus has done for us, we don't have to bow to the same sorts of pressures in the same way that everybody else does. That will be a light in a dark place. Second example of ways we can be light to the world. Uh, and that is by joining God's work. And this is something we talk a lot about, but if you're new to Mill City, let me briefly explain. We believe, here's our, here's our assumption, that God is already at work in every single place that you go, inhabit, spend your time during any given day, any given week. But there is an attention gap for lots of us where we don't attend enough to see where it is the Holy Spirit might be inviting us into something. We might just miss that if we're not paying attention. And so... By living as light in the world, we're intentionally looking at our daily lives as opportunities to join something that God cares about. So one practical way that I'm trying to do this right now is through this app called Nextdoor. Anybody use Nextdoor app? Yep, both of you, great. Uh, 
it's an, it's, an, it's an app designed to connect neighbors. So if you haven't checked it out yet, I encourage you to do it. Maybe your neighborhood uses it. And people are posting endlessly, but it's a little different than the normal social media because most of what people post are things that concern the neighborhood, uh, questions people have, uh, it's stuff that they're struggling with sometimes. And I've been going through it not just to see, like, spy on my neighbors to see what they're doing, but also to say, are there any opportunities to join something that God is doing through these posts. And uh, one I have done nothing about, but I want to give you an example. Just last week, like three days ago, I saw a person post, and the title of it was, uh, Need a Miracle, right? And then they posted this kind of horrible story about some car trouble and um, timing belts going bad and not having money to fix the car and needing some help, you know? And I thought to myself, okay, so here's a chance where you, if you were reading this, asking yourself the question, where might I join in with God's work? How could I be light in the world? I might just breeze through that and go, oh, that stinks. Hope she finds a better car. Or I might think, is there any way that I can pray for her or do something about this? Or do I know anybody that could help her? And that's a totally different perspective. And, and some of you have shared these stories where you have done that and then you've reached out to people or you've acted on it in some way. And people are almost uh, like they fall out of their chairs when they realize, wow, these people just did this because they wanted to. Like they're just paying attention to their neighborhood and they realized here was an opportunity to show mercy or kindness or be generous or be helpful or just, just say, hey, I see you. And um, that's a different kind of light in the world that we live in. So pay attention this week in your regular everyday context and see, are there any opportunities to love people who need to be loved? Are there any opportunities to speak up for people who can't speak up for themselves or listen to people who maybe don't come from the same background that you do and, and don't feel heard by anybody else? Third example of, of a way to be light. This is going to sound really simplistic. Uh, we can be light in the world by talking about Jesus. All right? Here's what I mean by that. I don't necessarily mean go to all your family parties and tell everyone that Jesus died and came back to life. Although that would be fine if you have the opportunity. I just mean I don't hear people all the time just talking in regular person ways about Jesus. So last Sunday when Pastor J.D. spoke, one of his takeaway assignments for us was to say, have a conversation with somebody and just share with them one way that Jesus made a difference in your life in 2018. And uh, we went home and tried to do that at the dinner table. It didn't go super well, but, you know, it's just a work in progress. Um, what if you just took the answer to that question, whatever your answer is, to some gathering or something you were doing this week, and you tried to talk about it like a normal person? Like, not, when I say normal person, you know, you know the sort of creepy Christian behavior that happens where people come into a conversation and you can tell right away that something's very odd about the, about the way that they're approaching you. Like, sometimes they'll even just sort of stand weird. I'd like to tell you something about my faith. Right? Now, people are running in the other direction, if that's how, how you're going to approach the conversation. But if you're just sharing a story about your life, and you say something like, yeah, you know what? I, there was so much uncertainty in my life in 2018. And it really helped me to know that my relationship with Jesus was solid in the, in the midst of a whole bunch of uncertain circumstances. That's a normal way to talk about Jesus. 
You know, people, I know people have some anxiety about folks trying to do the sideways talk to them, but if you, we all have to be normal humans who are okay expressing our faith. Yesterday, I'm reading the little local newspaper, which is always hilarious, and in the op-ed, or in the letters to the editor, like one lady wrote in and said, you can't take pictures of zombie nuns and put them in the paper because I'm a Christian and that offends me. I don't want to see zombie nuns in the paper. And the photographer wrote back and said, I'm a Christian too. And I think that is a little strange, but my job is to take pictures of the event and let people interpret. And I think as Christians, we can be open to that conversation. And I was like, wow, look, there's a normal Christian people having a public conversation about how their faith influences photography, editing, newspaper writing. That's kind of cool. I feel like everyone's so freaked out about talking about anything religious that if they're not doing the sideways conversations, they're just not saying anything at all. So then what, what is the pathway by which someone is supposed to come to know God through your good works in your life if you never say Jesus' name to anybody? Like, I'm trying to say things like, man, when our, when our church engages with the Sheridan story and tries to help kids have enough food. We're doing that because we think Jesus cares that kids don't have enough food. That's different than just saying any, any human being should think that kids should have food all the time. I agree with that, right? But that's not exactly why we're doing it. So just small changes in your language and your own awareness to say, I want to talk about Jesus in my life as a normal human, not as a bizarro person who's trying to sell something to someone. And if you do that habitually, eventually some people are going to go, that's really interesting. Like, exactly how does Jesus bring some certainty and peace in your life when you're facing all kinds of uncertain things? And then you can have a normal human conversation about that. We've got to lower our anxiety about what other people are going to think if we just talk about Jesus. If Jesus is really important to you in your life, then look back on any given week and say, is there any spot where I'm talking about Jesus in a normal way with anybody else? If not, ask yourself why not. And maybe test it out. I mean, test out the sideways conversation too and see how that goes and you can compare and contrast. And please come back and tell me the stories on that. I'd love to hear how it goes. Last thing um, of how we can be light in the world. Uh, And that is by praying for the world. You know, maybe you grew up in a Christian tradition uh, where in the worship service every Sunday, I know this is true in a lot of Catholic traditions, where they would have prayers for the world as part of the worship service. Anybody experience that in their upbringing? Yeah, thanks, Ramon. Pray for specific people in your life and the world in general because we believe that prayer matters. Prayer changes us. Prayer changes circumstances. People of prayer have a different approach to the world than which they live in. Uh, make a list of things specifically in the world that you're concerned about and talk to God about them on a regular basis. List specific people in your life that you know uh, maybe aren't connected to Jesus and pray for them. Pray for whatever they're going through. Pray for their work. Pray for their families. Pray for peace in their life. Pray for them to know how much God loves them. Pray for those people. Um, if If we pray for people if we pray for the world, if we talk about Jesus, if we learn to join God's work in the world, if we live as people with character, we're going to be a city on a hill. Jesus was not saying, 
Try as hard as you can to be a city on a hill. He was saying, you are the light of the world. And the more you let God transform your life and the more you deepen your relationship with Jesus, it will naturally become light to the people around you if you let it. Let your light shine before people so that they see your good deeds and come to know who God is. Let me invite the band to come up. I'm almost done. The way that we live in the world and our relationship with the world, I don't know if some of you come from a tradition where there's church and there's world, and the world is evil and church is good. I want to say, look, evil exists in the world and in the church. And the definition that Jesus gives us of the people of God gathered are people who are forgiven through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ so that they can be light and grace and peace and mercy in the world that God loves. The way we live in the world confirms our own faith. I know that we have kids who are growing up in the church who are then leaving the church in part because they never saw anything from the church except people gathering for worship services and small group studies. And they look at the world that they're now being introduced to and they say, what difference does this church make for this world and its problems? And they can't make a connection. What a tragedy that is. The way we live in the world confirms our own faith. It reminds us of why we're doing what we're doing. It trains our children to see the difference that Jesus makes in the world so that when they grow up, they will be happy to be followers of Jesus Christ. The way we live in the world shines a different path for people who don't know God. Believe it or not, there are people out there who feel like they are in darkness. They're not sure what life's about. They don't know what their purpose is. And they want to find an answer to that question. And they're watching for some light to guide their path. And we could be that. The way we live in the world establishes that we are God's means to God's end of having all of the world know that God loves them so much that he sent his only son to become one of us, to take on the suffering of becoming a human being on the off chance that we might discover that this is really the one true God who will do anything to convince us, even give up his own life on the cross in order to say to us, this is how you make sense of your life. This is what you were created for. You are salt. You are light. I love you. I forgive you. Now, join me in loving the world that also needs to know that those things are true. Our identity as a city on a hill and a light to the world calls us, invites us to allow God's life to radiate out into the world that we live in. As you come forward for communion today, I want you to know that you don't have to be a member of Mill City Church to participate in communion. I'll invite the communion servers to come forward. The way we practice communion here is that we take a piece of gluten-free bread and we dip it in some juice so that everybody can participate. And then we walk back along this wall over here and there'll be a few people available to pray for you. Specifically, if there are some prayers for the world that you want to share today or that you want to pray about, just stop by someone and say, hey, let's pray about this. Or pray for me to be a person of character in my workplace. Or pray for me to have the courage to talk like a normal person about Jesus in my relationships. 
Take that opportunity as you walk back to your chair. As we look to the cross before communion here today, we see the light that shines in the world through the person and work of Jesus. 2,000 years later, billions of people are still talking about this one man's sacrifice. That God became a child in a poor family that had to be exiled to another country because of risk of their life, that had to come back from refugee status to be living in a, in a carpenter's house for 30 years before announcing that he was going to be the light of the world, to set the prisoners free, to help the blind see, to offer forgiveness to all who, had, who would have faith in him, and to ultimately give up his life and say, you too are invited to be part of God's kingdom, of God's family, and become light to a world that desperately needs it. So let's pray before we come forward for communion. Jesus, we're beyond grateful for the fact that you willingly became one of us. Because of your love for us and for this world, you became one of us and you shone a light into dark space. And we didn't really know who you were until you came and looked at us face to face and showed us what it's like to be human and what it's like to be God. So Jesus, as we come forward once again today to receive your love, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, confirm our identity as salt and light and give us the courage to live that way each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.